All right, if you have your Bible, we are going to be, surprise, surprise, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we are going to be looking in verses 6 through 11 today. So if you have your Bible, um, let me go ahead and uh, read those, and then we'll jump into it. Acts chapter 6, verses 1, I'm sorry, Acts 1, 6 through 11 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of, to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for this passage in the book of Acts um, and just the different things that we're going to, to see in, in just this short uh, period uh, or this short selection of, of Scripture. Father, help our lives to be different as a result. Help us to have the, the, the motivation to, to be on mission after, as a result of being here today. We ask all this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so um, it's taken us a couple weeks to get to this point, right? This is the, th the third Sunday. We're Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So uh, we're, we're, the reason that we're taking so long, and I told you this on the first, uh, first Sunday that we did this, these, the first section, the first part of um, the book of Acts, uh, some people refer to it as a prologue, it really sets the tone for everything that's going to come after it. Uh, I read, uh, one time I read a, 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 a Tom Clancy novel, and there was a prologue, and I totally skipped the prologue, totally skipped it, like, ah, I just want to get to the story, I skipped the prologue. Well, it turned out that reading the prologue introduced me to all of the characters that were going to be in the rest of the book, so once I started reading, and it was really exciting, I had no idea who some of the people were or why they were doing what they were doing or, or any, what the reason that the, all of this was happening was. I had to go back and read the prologue. And so I didn't get to finish the book in the time that I wanted to because I was sitting there going, well, what am I doing here? The reason that we're spending so much time in the first part of Acts is it really sets the tone uh, for what we're going to see moving forward. Now, all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the central character in all of that was... Jesus. Jesus was the central character. Everything that, everything that moved the narrative forward, moved the story forward, centered around Jesus. What we're going to see today is that Jesus is still going to be the central character of the story, of the message that the disciples have, but Jesus is no longer the central character. It's now the disciples who are taking over and who will be moving the story forward. And whatever the disciples, it, it, it's at this point that whatever the disciples decide to do determines where the story goes from here. So um, what we're going to look at today as we, uh, as we go through this passage of Scripture is Jesus had a mission for his disciples to carry out. Jesus had a mission for them to carry out. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the mystery of the mission. We're going to look at the message of the mission. And we're going to look at the motivation 
of the mission. And I'd like to tell you that the, mess, the mystery message and motivation that that all came from me, straight up took it from John MacArthur. But anyway, all right, so we're gonna, we're, let's dive in. The first thing I want us to look at is the mystery of the mission. Uh, Acts 1, 6 through 7 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. All right, so the context of what's happening is, is in verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 5, we know that Jesus has, has been raised from the dead, and he's been appearing to his disciples over a period of 40 days, meaning he wasn't with them all 40 days, but he would show up, he'd teach them some stuff, he'd, he'd, he'd show them some things, do all that. He was trying to convince them that he had come back to life, that he really was who he said he was, and then he would disappear. And then he would show up again later on, and, and we see this you know, throughout the end of the book of Luke, how he would do these types of things. At this point, what's happening is, is that Jesus is calling all of the disciples together, all right? And it, in one of the books that I, I read, it said that there was a possibility that, infer, that this was the gathering of 500 people. I've referenced that a couple times, and I, I told you that um, there, there are some skeptics who will say that when Jesus appeared to the 500 people, all of them were hallucinating, and how you know, medical, medical experts have said it's possible for 500 people to hallucinate, it's not possible for all 500 people to hallucinate the same thing at the same time, right? And so it, it, there are some commentators, some people who write about this that say that when Jesus called them together, that this was that gathering of 500 people. Somehow he had gotten the word to the disciples, to, to Peter and John and James and the rest of them, and said, hey, get everybody together. Get everybody together. We're going to meet over on the Mount of Olives at this time. And so you have to imagine the speculation was high. A few years ago, we were, Tina and I were a part of a church um, out in Inwood, and we got, a, we got a, a message, a phone call. We got somebody that said, listen, something's going down Sunday night. You need to be there. All right, Sunday night at this particular church, they probably had 40 or 50 people that would show up on a Sunday night. This particular Sunday night, there were about 350 people there. Everybody wanted to know what was going on. So in this particular, in, in, in what they said is, um, the apostles were telling everybody, listen, Jesus has got something to tell us. Jesus has got something to tell us. You need to be at the Mount of Olives at this point, right? There was a lot of hype. There was a lot of speculation. They're going, oh, here we go, man. All right, because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And in, 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 in all of the teachings, the, 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 pardon me, I'm stumbling over my words today. All of the teaching that the Jews did, they all believed that the Messiah was going to come and that he was going to restore the kingdom. That he was going to restore the kingdom. They remembered, they remembered from their history lessons the glory that was the kingdom of David, the glory that was the kingdom of Solomon. They were, they were like, yes, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to set it up again. Rome, you're out of here, all of these things. And so they show up, and Jesus gets, uh, gets there, and he, he stands up in front of them, and everybody's on the edge of their, probably on the edge of their rock, since they're on the Mount of Olives. They're probably sitting on rocks or, or whatever it is they're sitting on. Um, like, all right, here it comes. And one of, them, one of them says, as you see in verse 6, he says, Jesus, is this the time that you're going to establish the kingdom? Is this the day that we've been waiting for? Is this the time that you are going to do this. Now, some of them, 
Some of the disciples were probably asking this or wondering this out of a sense of greed. Because Jesus had been telling his disciples, listen, those of you that follow me, those of you that have given things up for me, when the new age comes, when my kingdom comes, you're going to reign with me. I'm going to give you all kinds of stuff. And so they were probably going, yeah, here it comes, man. All right, they already had dollar signs or whatever, denarii signs or whatever the money. I forget what the money was called during that time. Those are rolling through their heads trying to figure out, all right, what's going to go on? What's going to go on? You know, all those things. And Jesus looks at them and totally pops that bubble. Because Jesus, and I imagine Jesus probably stood up and probably went like this. Probably shook his head a little bit. You know how when you, when you tell your kids something and you've told them it over and over again, and then they, they go, is this going to happen? You're right after you've explained it to them 40, 50, 60 times, this happens at my house every single night, and you just kind of go, uh, yeah, sure. All right? But there were also those in the crowd who were asking Jesus out of a sense of love, wanting to spend more time with Jesus, knowing that when Jesus set up his kingdom, they were going to have all of the access to him as possibly they could. But Jesus' response to them is very, very telling. Instead of going, you dunderheads, how, what have I been telling you over the past 40 days? What have I tried to explain to you? Instead of doing that, Jesus very gently rebukes them. In verse 7, it says, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. That was his response. He said, hey, it's not the time for that. Now, I want to point out three things that, that he, he said that, were, that you can pick out from his response. The first thing is that he does not tell them that he's not going to set up a kingdom, which means all of the, all of the uh, prophecies and everything about the kingdom, that's still going to happen. Jesus is going to come back, and one day he is going to establish a literal physical kingdom here on earth. That is going to happen. It is something that we as believers should look forward to because all of the mess that we see in the world right now, all of the sickness, all of the fighting, all of the arguments over this, that, and the other, all of that is going to be done away with. And we're going to live in a perfect kingdom where Jesus will reign forever. He, tell, he doesn't tell them that he's not going to set up a kingdom. The second thing is that he tells them that they don't need to know when the kingdom's going to come. He's like, don't worry about it. It's going to take place. You don't need to be concerned with it. Right? And then the third thing is that he reminds them that the kingdom is going to come on God's timetable. So instead of being anxious and worrying about all of those things, they need to be focused on what's about to take place. The way I look at this is... Lots, you know what one of the most popular topics in, in Christianity is? The end times. People love to talk about the end times. They make movies about the end times. And have you ever seen that movie, um, A Thief in the Night? I think if you have Amazon Prime, it, it's on Amazon Prime. You can watch it. It is so cheesy. It's straight 100% 1970s cheese. All right? But there, there are movies about the end times. There are books about the end times. There's all of this stuff about the end times. When I was a youth pastor a few years ago, uh, I heard a, uh, a speaker to youth pastors. He said, listen, if you want to grow your youth group, if you want kids to come to your group, youth group, you got to teach about two things. You got to teach about sex or you got to teach about revelation. That's what will get people to come to church. And if you really want to get them, 
teach about sex during Revelation, right? That'll bring them in. I, I, okay, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. All right. Now, the reason I point that out is if we're not careful as believers, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves getting distracted by secondary things, right? We, we start to worry about what the 70 weeks in the book of Daniel are or, or what the name of the guy who got his ear cut off by Peter when his name's Malchus, by the way. Um, we start to worry about all of these little, little things, these secondary doctrines. And yes, all of the Bible is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And every single part of it is profitable to us as believers. But we need to make certain that we are furthering the kingdom instead of trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Sitting around looking for signs in the Bible. What's that guy's name? There's some dude who's always like, Jesus is coming back. Jesus, And then when Jesus doesn't come back, he's like, oh, I, missed, I, I didn't carry my one like I was supposed to or something. He, 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 like everybody makes a big deal out of him. And this is the reason why Jesus gently rebukes the disciples, reminding them that there was something more important for them to be doing than to be sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back and set up his kingdom. The second thing that I want to point out from this passage is the message of the mission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is probably one of the most familiar verses in all of the Bible. Right? I, I'm not, not going to say it's one of my favorites. I, I do like it. I mean, I like all the verses, but um, it, it is one of the, the most familiar. Whenever a missionary comes or they're trying to convince you to do something, they generally go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because it lays out. And Acts 1, verse 8 is the key verse for the entire book of Acts. It is the key verse. And if you read through it, it shows you the progression of, excuse me, of how the gospel message spreads as you read through the rest of the book of Acts. It, it starts in Jerusalem, and then it goes to Judea and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. And we'll see that, that once we get to Acts chapter 8, they move from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And then as you continue on, eventually you're going to get to the Apostle Paul, and he's taking the the gospel to the end of the earth. He ends up in Rome and he's trying to get over to Spain. He's taking it to the end of the earth. Um, but there are three things in this verse that I, that I want to see. First thing, Jesus tells the disciples they will receive power through the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit had been promised. Jesus, all through his ministry, all through his time that he was with his people, he's promising that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And that all that they needed to do was wait for him to arrive. And when he arrived, they were going to receive the power they needed to carry out the mission. If they tried to do the mission on their own, it wasn't through their good looks. It wasn't through their wealth. It wasn't through their knowledge. It wasn't through the good decisions that Peter made all of the time. Okay, somebody laughed. Thank you. I appreciate the pity laugh over there. It wasn't through those things that they were going to carry out this message that they were going to be able to deliver this message. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it, the same is true for us. We will never, as a church and as Christians, we will never accomplish anything of eternal value if we're trying to do it in our own power. In order for us to have an impact on our community, yeah, we might be able to get somebody a turkey at Thanksgiving, 
But if we truly want to have an impact on our community and see lives change, it's not going to come because your pastor is somewhat good looking. All right. It's not going to become because some of us have a little bit of money. Right. It's only going to come when we truly trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to go out and do those things. The second thing, Jesus is uh, Jesus's disciples are called to be witnesses about Jesus. They're, that's what their job was to do was to witness about Jesus. The disciples had spent three years with Jesus watching him heal people and learning from his teaching. I mean, they had, they had the ultimate seminary education because they were learning it right from the source. You want to learn something, you go right to the source. They had just experienced 40 days after he had been risen. They had been spending 40 days with him. The word witness here refers to someone who has seen something firsthand. That's why when you, if you ever get called to uh, testify in a court case, I sadly had that, that, that experience once. They don't want me, they didn't call me because I heard from somebody else that this had happened. They called me to testify because I had been a witness to a particular event, right? If, if, if you're hearing it from somebody else who's hearing it from somebody else, that's hearsay. Nobody's going to believe that. Being a witness was the great task that was given to the disciples, and it's the same task that's been given to us. Those of us that are believers, we have the duty to share the greatest message the world needs to hear. We need to be sharing with others the news that they can be delivered from sin, death, and hell. As believers, we know that information, right? We are supposed to be the ones who are going out and giving that information to people who don't have it. The third, finally, this verse shows us the method for witnessing that the disciples were to follow. Jesus tells the disciples they're to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem means your personal context. That means you're to share the gospel with your neighborhood. You're to share the gospel with the people that you sit down with for family dinner. I know that there are people, and, and I've got a brother. He's not here today. I'm working to try to get my brother to come to church. I'm sharing with him and saying, Joey, you need to be in church. You need to come to church. We are working through that. I've got a neighbor that I'm inviting to church. Every single one of us here has somebody that they should be sharing the gospel with. Some of us have family members who at one point were members of this church or came to this church, and for some reason, they are no longer coming to this church. Guess what your Jerusalem is? Those family members that need to be here in church. Those are, those are the family members. The second thing, the second thing that Jesus uh, says is you're going, to be, um, you're going to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And that means going beyond our personal context, outside of where we normally would run into. Now, I understand that not all of us are called to go on an overseas missions trip. Not all of us are going to be called to be missionaries. I pray that some of us are being called to be missionaries. I'm praying that some of us will get the bug and say, you know what? This town over here doesn't have a good church. I'm going to leave Grace, and I'm going to go start a church over there. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to give you money. We can give them money, right? i got to look over here at my accountant. If I want to, i got two accountants i got to double check with. But... God may be calling some of us or somebody who's going to join our church at some point 
He's going to call them to go overseas to be a missionary, or he's going to call them into another town to start a church. And if God is not calling us to do that personally, you know what he is calling us to do? To support them. He's calling for us to get behind them and to clear out any path, any obstacle that's going to keep them from doing that. And what that may look like for us is that may mean we have to rearrange our schedule so that when there's a prayer meeting praying for those people, we're here praying for them. It may mean that we have to make sacrifices in our budget so that we can take money that we would normally spend on something else and we give it to them to help ease the way in getting them out into missions. That's the message that Jesus was giving to his disciples. That was the message of the mission, was that they were to take the gospel and spread it everywhere. And if we're not called to go personally, we're called to make sacrifices to help those that are going to it. Uh, Imagine what world missions would look like if every believer simply did what Jesus Jesus asked them to do. And then the third thing, the third point of this, is the motivation of the mission. The mystery was not knowing when the kingdom is going to be set up. The message is the gospel. Right? We've talked about the gospel many times. The fact that Jesus left heaven, was born in a manger, lived a sinless, perfect life, died in our place on the cross, was buried. Three days later, he came back to life, and he's now up in heaven um, standing before God in, in our presence. But the, the motivation of that particular mission is found here. In Acts uh, 1, beginning in verse 9, says this, After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gone, or while, when he, while he was going, there we go, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. After Jesus had given his disciples this instruction, something miraculous happened. He was standing there talking to them, and then all of a sudden, he began to ascend. He began to be lifted up until he disappeared behind a cloud. Now imagine the shock. I mean, the disciples disciples were used to Jesus popping in and popping out. I don't think I would ever get used to that. I'd be looking under the table like, what's he doing? You know, trying to figure figure out where it was. I was driving home from work one day, and... Um, the, the border patrol place out here, they were, they were doing some training. Traffic was horrible. And I couldn't figure out, what in the world is going on? Why is traffic so horrible? And as you got closer to the, the border patrol training place, there was a helicopter just hovering. And what was happening was, there were guys going up and down the rope into the helicopter. And so people were slowing down like, what? What? what's going on there? What's going on? Like, Look at that. Oh, dude, that's all. Right? I'm surprised there wasn't an accident because there was so much, there was so much rubbernecking going on there. Um, well, Jesus, Jesus was there, he was teaching, and then all of a sudden he began to ascend. And the reason that he was doing this, he was trying to show them in a pretty dramatic way that even though he had been popping in and popping out from them, disappearing and appearing over the past 40 days, this departure was final. They weren't going to see Jesus again. He was sealing that. For, Jesus was leaving and he was not going to come back until it was time for him to establish his kingdom. Jesus had fulfilled his mission And now he was returning to heaven where he stands before God on our behalf. Hebrews 9.24 says this, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. 
Jesus left earth. He's standing before God right now, talking and talking to God on our behalf. After Jesus had ascended, the disciples were just standing there looking up in heaven. I'm pretty sure that we would probably do the same thing. Anybody still see him? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever you ever had one of those balloons and you let go and then you just stand there? I think I see it, right? And your kid's over here crying because his Mickey Mouse balloon floated up into the sky, right? Like, be quiet, it's coming back. I promise, we'll find it, right? And then you never do find it. But anyway, um, at this point though, they're, they're standing there staring up in the sky trying to figure out, all right, is he coming back? What's going on? At that point, two men in white showed up. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday evenings, you know who those two men in white are. Those are angels, right? We've, talk, we've been talking about angels. And they walk up to them, they, and they have a message for them from, from God. And it says, as, the, as this, the verses indicate, they ask the disciples why they were just standing there staring in the sky. Like, what are you looking for? Right? You, you've seen Jesus do this before. What are you looking for? Why are you standing there staring up in the sky? He just gave you a job to do. Just going to stand around and stare at the sky all day? Get busy. Let's do this thing. This was another reminder from heaven of the importance of the mission that the disciples were now on. The angels gave the disciples a key piece of information. They gave the disciples, they said, hey, this Jesus who just left, you saw him leave. He's coming back, and he's coming back exactly the same way that he left you. He's coming back, he's going to come back, he's coming back the exact same way that he left you. Zechariah 14, verse 4 says this, On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. Jesus is going to come back. It's going to be dramatic. I mean, he's going to come down. He's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives and just blow that thing to smithereens. I kind of want to see it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Now, I entitled this section, The Motivation of the Mission. And here's the motivation. The angels didn't say when that was going to happen. The angels didn't come and say, hey, you know, when Jesus left, three hours from now, he's going to show up again. Get ready. You better put on a hard hat. He's going to blow that mountain to pieces. And he didn't say that. They didn't say that to them. Only that he was going to come back. And as we saw in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, we are not to be concerned with the timetables. But there is a sense of urgency to the mission that God has given us, to the mission that Jesus has given to us. Jesus is coming back, but no one knows when that's going to happen. Luke chapter 12, verse 20 says this, You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 says, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. A thief doesn't call you and say, Hey, just wanted to let you know I'm going to be sneaking by your place later tonight and be asleep. I appreciate that. Put your guns away. You got that dog, put him in a cage. I'd appreciate it. A thief doesn't do that. That would be nice if they did, right? The fools that keep breaking into my car. I haven't done that in a while. Okay, anyway. Now, the motivation is because we don't know when Christ will return, the disciples needed to act. They needed to live and act as if Jesus' return was going to happen at any moment. They needed to live in a sense of urgency, spreading the gospel, sharing that message, 
because they didn't know when the day of the Lord was going to be. They, their job was to go back and wait for the Holy Spirit to be given to them. And we'll see that that takes place in, in 10 days from this point. Once that took place, they were to witness to others until Christ returned. Not knowing when that was to take place, they had to go about it with a sense of urgency. Sometimes at work, so you all know this at this point, I'm a teacher. And one of the things that, that is dreadful about being a teacher is when the teacher does, or when the principal does a walkthrough. Okay, now sometimes you get a good principal and they come in and they're like, oh, everything's wonderful, yay. Sometimes you have a bad principal and they come in with a checklist and they go through and they look for everything on that checklist. And if you don't have something on that checklist, oh, it's not gonna be a good day for you, right? And so what will happen is somebody, somebody will, get, will get a walkthrough and as soon as the principal leaves, they whip out their cell phone and they text all of the people saying, Walk through, walk through, right? And you never know when that principal's gonna show up in your room. So you know what you're doing? You're putting your objectives up on the board. You're making sure your desk is clean. You're making sure you've, your lesson plans are on the desk. Or if you don't have lesson plans, right? Then you write them as quickly as you can. Right? Quick, chase it in on that one. She's not gonna know, right? But you live in that anticipation that the principal is going to show up. Now that's a dreadful thing. That's a horrible thing. We should be living as disciples, as believers, we should be living in the anticipation that Jesus can show up at any point. Not because we're dreading it, but because we know that when Jesus returns, he's going to take us to someplace that's even more glorious than what we have here. But we also need to live in a sense of urgency because we have the gospel message. Those of us that are believers, we have the gospel message and we should be living in such an urgency that we are sharing that with all of the people that we come in contact with, not knowing what their eternal destiny is. We need to make sure that we are sharing the gospel and helping people to be introduced to Jesus so that if Jesus does return, as many people as are called are going with him as possible. Right? We, we have this message that's going to the most perfect message that people need to hear. And unfortunately, too many of us are sitting on our hands, staring up in the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back when we have the message to go out and share it. As believers, we've been given the same message that the disciples were given so many years ago on that Mount of Olives. And just as the disciples were reminded not to focus on the things of the future, the same is true for us. Sometimes we get so caught up, like I said, we get so caught up in worrying about what the interpretations of what Daniel means or, or what, you know, are we going to go through the tribulation and when's the rapture going to happen and what's the millennium and who's, the, who's this person of Babylon over here and what's this dragon over here? We get so caught up in these things that we lose sight of the fact that yes, those things are important and they are profitable to us. And I realize I'm repeating myself from earlier. I'm trying to drive home the point. They are profitable to us. But the most important thing for us to do as believers is to take the gospel message and share that with other people. And once they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we can start discipling them and help them to grow so that they in turn are going and sharing the gospel message. And it becomes a cycle that we continue to do this until Jesus Christ returns and blows that mountain to pieces. You are, you are to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
We have the message of hope and forgiveness that the world needs. We have received the power to share this message through the Holy Spirit. And our motivation is the fact that Jesus is coming again in the same way that he departed. Let's pray. Father, I realize there's a lot loaded into this. And, and I, pray that, I pray that the words that I use, Lord, that, that the words that I believe you gave me will have an impact on our, on our lives, so that it would have an impact on our church that we as those who are believers, we wouldn't just be sitting and staring into the sky waiting for you to return, although we are looking forward to that glorious day. But Lord, that we would have the motivation of your return to go out and share the gospel with other people, that we would have the motivation to go into our local context, our Jerusalem, and then into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that we would be spreading the gospel, or that we would be doing the things that we need to do, praying and supporting and giving and doing all of those things to help people go and do those things. Lord, that we would have the motivation, the motivation of the mission that you've given to us. Lord, help us not to, not to be a church that just sits and stares into the sky, but that we would be a church that, that spreads the gospel, that shares the truth and love of Jesus Christ so that our sins can be forgiven and so that we would have people give their lives to you, that our baptisms could be full, that we would constantly be baptizing people into the body of Christ, and then we, would, we could help them thrive and go out and do the same thing. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has a burden, who maybe, even though I was, I was speaking on, 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 on the mission, Lord, but maybe the Holy Spirit was working on somebody else's life, a burden, uh, a need for forgiveness, uh, an attitude that needs to be laid down, uh, a need to be forgiven or to forgive someone, whatever that burden may be, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch their hearts and that today would be the day that they could begin that restoration. Father, I pray for our church, Lord. I pray that we would be different people as a result. Thank you for each person that's here. I pray that our lives would be forever impacted because the Holy Spirit guided us to church today. And Lord, if there's anyone who is not a believer, I pray that today would be the day that they would begin uh, their, their new relationship with you by making you the Lord of their life, by accepting the free gift of salvation that comes through trusting in the gospel. Lord, we pray all of this.